welcome to the way of the womb podcast my name is beck i'm your host and i'm a trauma-informed holistic birthing doula womb worker and earth lover i am here to support you and all womb owners whether that's through your monthly cycles and navigating the everyday or whether that's to support your journey through the rite of passage of pregnancy and birth my passion is to support souls to come home to themselves so you can connect back to your innate power, your intuition and the wisdom of your body so you can feel empowered and live your truth. On this platform, we will be discussing periods, pregnancy, plant medicine, birth, trauma, mental health, spirituality, earth to body connection and everything in between. This is a place for conscious souls to gather so that together we can heal, thrive and live authentically, unapologetically as ourselves. This is the Way of the Womb podcast. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Way of the Womb podcast. And I have a lovely guest with me today, the beautiful Kelly Silk, who is an amazing midwife who's actually just left the NHS. So we are going to be talking all all today. No, not all today. We're going to be talking all about vaginal examinations today. Um, And yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. It's stuff that doesn't get spoken about enough. So thank you so much for coming on, Kelly. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you. So chuffed to be here. And um, I've never been on a podcast before, so this is a total first time for me so yeah hello hey you'll be amazing I mean I've I don't know how many I've recorded and still fucking waffle on majority of the time so <laughs> you'll be amazing so um would you mind telling everyone a little bit about yourself about how you like to practice I mean obviously I know the type of practice we want to do is different when we're in the NHS um but yeah will you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah sure uh so I I've been a qualified midwife for 12 years um, and then obviously training for a little bit before that. So um, I've had a really good sort of variation between different types of care and different types of care settings, you know, hospital, birth centre, community, um, home birth, um, midwifery group practice, sort of lots of different, lots of different variation. Um, And really, I think... um, really looking for a type of practice that sort of suits my midwifery soul um, and haven't found it haven't found it in the NHS and I've subsequently left um, and throughout that time I've sort of really um, become a bit of a, a birth activist I guess just like you um, <laughs> yeah um, and just really sort of you know not happy with what I was seeing what I was sort of being forced to participate in what I chose to participate in um and really sort of um have become very passionate about being a guardian a proper guardian of physiological birth um and also uh just sort of you know really really arming parents with their their rights really um as to as to what they they do and don't have to put up with (laughs) um so yeah that's a little bit about me I suppose Uh, amazing and I love what you've said about coming back to your midwife soul I love that I really felt Mm. that I can imagine it yeah to be really difficult being surrounded and being told to be 
behaving and acting in a way that isn't true to your midwife soul and yeah that being really detrimental on so many different aspects of your life so I'm so glad that you're where you're at now um and we were just speaking a little bit before we started recording I was like oh I don't know if it sounds really weird but I'm really proud of you because you're doing what you want to do and yeah I just think it's amazing so I'm just celebrating so much it can it can be a real challenge to get out but um yeah I'm here and I made it and yeah definitely taking some steps into uh becoming a traditional midwife or an authentic midwife or a birth keeper or however you know lots of terms for us really but those of us who um walk with women and families in an aligned way rather than um being guided by a system so yes for that yes (laughs) so I would love and we're gonna like dive straight in if that's cool with you and I just wanted to tell anyone who's listening if you could tell anyone tell them tell them what it is no if you could explain what a vaginal examination is when we would carry out a vaginal examination and yeah what that kind of looks like in an NHS setting or outside yeah. of the NHS as well and if some people do choose to have vaginal examinations at home birth or out of the setting with an NHS um but yeah if you could just explain a little bit about what that is from your medically trained point of view that would be yeah yeah no sure so in essence a vaginal assessment is part of a clinical examination that will be offered to you um mostly like the majority of vaginal assessments are carried out during labor during birth um you might also be offered them in pregnancy for various different reasons but but fundamentally fundamentally in in birth um and it's basically where a, a clinically trained practitioner inserts two fingers into your vaginal opening um, up through the vagina and into the cervix okay um, and they're they're actually you know they're mainly kind of getting information about how open the cervix is but I think quite a lot of people don't realize that there's there's a few other sort of facets of information that is being gathered during that as well so uh, it's also um, <laughs> during my training we were always um, we're always we're always trained to document that the whether the vagina was warm and moist or dry and hot because if it was dry and hot that that wasn't very good but yeah if it was warm what and moist what did that mean fine. if someone's vagina is dry I kind of want to check oh my god and um yeah so basically um it, it could mean that somebody's got a fever you know if, you, if you're dry and hot you know in a, in a place that's normally warm and moist it, it, you know you tend to sometimes be running a little bit hot <laughs> yeah um but I thankfully stopped that practice because it, it did upset me having to write it down so you don't write that anymore um but generally I mean, anyone like, writing the word yeah. moist down can't be too great it's not enjoyable it's no it's not great but you know there's other things going on like they're looking at like you know the external vulva as well and you know whether that looks okay or um you know whether there's any signs of anything unusual going on there and then obviously like commenting on and feeling for the the sort of normal biology surrounding the vaginal opening as well and and the vagina itself um so yeah mainly going in there to gather information about how open or not the cervix might be but also um how soft the cervix is or how firm it is um, and how far forward the cervix is or isn't um which is com- which is you know wherever the cervix position is, is is normal for where that is um but they're, they're sort of assessing that really and then also if the cervix is quite open um they're also potentially assessing 
what um, sort of what position the baby's head is in, if they can feel the lines of the baby's skull bones. So baby's skull bones are not fused um, during pregnancy, during birth, as we know, because the skull bones overlap to allow the baby to descend through the birth canal and the pelvis super clever babies are amazing um yeah and it creates a, a certain pattern on the head so um yeah a little diamond on the top of the head and a triangle on the back of the head and if you can feel certain aspects of that you can essentially work out in your mind like physically what the angle of the baby's head is and then what the angle of their, their sort of back is as well um so yeah it's, it's a it, lot of information it's a lot of information yeah and then also how low down the head is as well as being assessed so you know whether the head is sort of really high up in the pelvis or whether it's super low down or just there ready to be born all of those things so this you know it is obviously a um you know very cervix focused always um but there's also a lot of other of other gathering that's going on there okay and they're usually quite quick as well um yeah they obviously can last a bit of time especially if a practitioner's trying to feel yeah. um for those for the what we call the landmarks on the baby's head and I guess it um, depends on how many they've done as well I mm, guess you get quicker and better at it the yeah. more you've done yeah. them you know what you're feeling for more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's it's such a it's a unique skill because you're doing sorry that's my cat yowling in the background <laughs> um yeah it's a unique skill because you're kind of doing it um by feel rather than by sight or listening or all of your other senses that you're using um so yeah it can be it can be yeah it's 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 just quite an interesting skill yeah Um, but obviously quite an invasive assessment as well you know it's not something that's been done externally um so it's obviously something for listeners to be aware of as well yeah and so thank you for explaining that and so when this information is gathered or when a vaginal examination has been carried out what what use is that information because we see and hear so much in the birth world like okay yeah you're eight centimeters dilated that means you know you're nearly 10 that means your baby's nearly here but then we also know that you can go from two centimeters to 10 centimeters in half an hour whereas if you check someone on their two centimeters we can then potentially adopt the story of oh your baby's going to be here in a little while you're going to be a while so what is that actually the accuracy of carrying out a vaginal examination so yeah and I I, not very accurate at all actually and um yeah I I sort of when you look at the research um it actually shows that if two people did a vaginal assessment um so like one after the other there's only about there's only about a 50 percent accuracy sort of that they'll that they'll say the same thing wow which is yeah which is really really interesting well um, as well because I've got really big hands so if I was yeah, yeah. Of, do a vaginal examination am I going to be like yeah you're a two and someone else is going to be like oh you're four and it's like yeah, yeah exactly yeah. I know I know and then yeah there's the most inaccuracy between I think it was five and eight centimeters which obviously like that's a really big deal if you're in labor and someone's telling you that <laughs> and that yeah one minute you know if someone said oh you're eight centimeters and then they said you were five like think about the impact that that would have on your potentially your mindset like you know and kind of what's going on for you in birth like it, that can be absolutely massive so you know I think it's really important for people to know that it's it's really only that one moment in time and it's not necessarily an accurate assessment of what's going on for you during your birth 
Yeah, so interesting because, yeah, you hear, also you hear a lot of stories about women coming in and especially when you move from, as you say, from five to eight. Am I right in thinking when you're five centimetres, you move onto the delivery suite from the labour wards? Yeah, well, I think um, <clears throat> four to five centimetres is classed as sort of like what we call active labour. Yeah. Um, even though we know that active labour, you know, is different for everybody and labours, you know, it's not sort of this process that's chopped up into stages. You know, I think midwives learn about that in a textbook and when you kind of read about birth like it's always chopped up into the early part of birth and then the active part of birth and then the actual pushing phase and stuff like it's like and now I'm in this phase and now I'm in this phase but birth is a whole continuum like it's a it's a rhythm yeah it's not just no it's not robotic no exactly and you know sort of but yeah you know the system that essentially the maternity system essentially tries to box you into that because they've got different protocols and guidelines for each step of labor um so it's nicer for them if you can fit into them because then they can do what they need to do like for example like you said move to the delivery suite room or um you know things like that so yeah it's um it's one of those things that you know vagina assessments definitely support the smooth running of the hospital system mm-hmm. and i think you know, for me, for me as a midwife, kind of what I, the perspective that kind of I've learned and, and my opinion is, is that really it's, it's mostly about practitioner comfort because they know where you are um, rather than it truly being a helpful sort of resource or a helpful assessment for, for the, you know, the woman who's in labour, for that family that's, that's kind of going through the process. So, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting it's an interesting one when you start unpacking it I think yeah really interesting Mm. and you know what comfort does that offer a practitioner is it literally in your opinion is it this sense of I know what's going on with your body because I can't say now I can feel and almost like Mm. searching and pulling threads for answers it's kind of similar to I know we're not talking about scans but it can offer a sense of safety for the other people present if they know what's happening with your body rather than listening to what a woman is expressing is happening with her body mm. is it literally because it makes them feel safer do you think like I don't I know obviously it's probably different for everyone yeah I think it's a whole a whole sort of multitude of factors um I think I think because you know we've reduced so many of the skills in midwifery down to the bare bones of clinical tasks and checks um, rather than kind of you know traditional midwives who who watched and you know and, and sort of learnt the sounds of birth or you know just got really in tune with the person that she was looking after because she'd known them all the way through the pregnancy um you know or kind of all those other signs that we know exist um you know I think some of that's it's been very reduced and, and there are a lot of practitioners who don't don't know those and don't practice that way um you know so really yeah that's kind of the only the only real sort of clues that they can have or that only the only certainty that they can give themselves is, is from a vaginal assessment um but I also think that a lot of decisions are made um with regards to the logistics around staffing based on what somebody's cervix is doing wow. yeah so okay. yeah you know so you know the, there are there are labels that are managing you know, 
whether they can take another, you know, another induction from the, from the antenatal ward based on how many people they've got in active labour. Um, you know, there are um, community midwives who are tired, who are at a home birth and trying to make decisions about whether they can carry on um, or whether they need to invite another midwife into the space who's more fresh than they are. Um, you know, and, th- you know, they, those kind of things, so that, you know, and it's, it's all about the system and it, it shouldn't be right this is someone's birth you know they're never going to get this time back again it's, body. yeah it's precious it's you know life altering you know and yeah and you've got practitioners who are maybe who are maybe offering the assessments or pushing them or you know doing them not because not because it's always necessarily in somebody's best interest to, to, to be doing that so you know I mean I maybe might get a bit of flack for saying that but but it's true you know it's true because you know I've, I've worked like that and um not necessarily um you know myself personally but I've seen it being you know seen it being practiced that way and it's like a systemic yeah. thing that you know your your employer tells you to do this and follow this mm-hmm. protocol don't they mm-hmm. it's NHS so oh my gosh yeah it's really now you say it of course it makes mm-hmm. absolute sense and I can also see why there is so much resistance towards women that have in their birth intentions, I don't want any vaginal examinations and why there can be pushback from medical professionals and women actually being told there's a sense of danger if you choose not to have a vaginal examination. But actually, is it because it's dangerous or is it because it's inconvenient? Yeah, yeah. And I've also seen it work the other way too, you know, busy antenatal awards, multiple inductions going on at the same time um and you know there's there's a woman saying I'm in labor and this baby's coming and the midwife I mean I don't know if you've heard these stories but I've heard these stories multiple times you know and they said to me um I couldn't possibly be in active labor because they'd only examined me an hour before and my cervix was closed yeah um you know and they're (laughs) And they're being induced, which is a brutal process and can absolutely cause your cervix to dilate at rapid speed. Um, but they don't want to examine you because they know that if, when they ring down to delivery suite or labor and say, I've got this person in labor, you know, they they're going to say, well, we haven't got a bed, <laughs> you know. So I've and, and, and so they don't examine people. They just give them pain relief or drug them. You know, I've seen that happen as well. Um, and it's it feels awful to talk about it. But that stuff goes down all the time. It's awful to yeah. talk about, but so important like, yeah. to talk about as well because, mm. you know, I've learned already so much from this conversation and, like, it's opened my eyes even more to kind of the things that are going on in and around birth in the hospital mm. setting. So thank you for, for openly talking about it. It's so important. And I think for anyone listening who might be, you know, planning a hospital birth or planning wherever they're planning to birth, who is potentially weighing up their options and thinking and seeing, you know, what do I want to do? Should I be having vaginal examinations? Do I want fetal monitoring? You know, to have all of this information is really important. So I guess, yeah, I would love to know what are the actual risks and what are the benefits of a vaginal examination if someone's going to make a decision whether or not to have an examination during birth what what should be considered yeah definitely so and I think you know as with anything um you know it does have its place 
I'm not saying never, never have one, um, never accept it. Um, you know, yeah, it absolutely, absolutely does have its place. Um, so that's the thing, isn't it? If you chose it, then, and you had all the information, then absolutely. But don't choose it because someone forced you to, or coerced you into saying you need to, or it's policy. You know, we hear that all the time. You can't come, you know, you Mm -hmm. can't, we can't bring you into hospital until we've checked how dilated you are. And it's like, what? until you put your fingers in my vagina you won't let me come in here to have a safe place to birth my baby the fuck are we talking about here yeah yeah sorry that was absolutely no no it's so true it's so true or um or the other one is um midwives refusing to um refusing to let people in the pool um without a vaginal assessment because if you're in early labor it might slow things down um is the argument given for that or um refusing to give pain relief you know or particularly gas and air because some someone isn't deemed to be an active labor um even though that the recommendations and the guidelines are really clear that if somebody asks for pain management during their birth you should offer it no matter what the stage of labor absolutely yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so yeah um but yeah in terms of the sort of advantages advantages or why you would maybe consider it um you know i think i definitely seen it work really well in birth like you know people have sort of reached a bit of a a bit of a maybe a a brick wall and they have a vaginal assessment and you know the midwife or whomever says you're doing amazing you know you are this meant this this dilated or the baby's head's right here come on um you know all of that and i and i've seen it you know renew someone's energy because because they suddenly realize that they they are really at the end or that or they're making incredible progress you know all of those things so i've I've seen it i've seen it work really well it just give that little boost and you know and, and then people are away um and I think also, you know, if you maybe are having a complex pregnancy, you know, you're being induced, um, you know, or you require uh, or you choose to have additional medical monitoring during your birth, um, you know, anything like that, um, then I think, you know, that there is maybe a little bit of sort of extra care that needs to be taken with regards to kind of how you progress in labour and where labour's going for you. Um, because it might be that for whatever reason, you know that there, there, there is a genuine sort of reasoning as to why you or your baby um you know maybe maybe they, we do need to think about time frames in labor a little bit more for you than we would for other people um you know and I yeah and I, I I and I just think you know if somebody really feels like they need to know for their for their mindset where they are then that's that's completely fine um as long as as long as you always know that you're going into it and it only ever is that one moment in time it only gives you information about what's going on in that particular moment it's not it's not predictive of when your baby will come in any way shape or form and I think that's a bit of a miss what's the word um not miscommunication but like an assumption Mm -hmm. isn't it that this will tell me how long my baby when until my baby is going to arrive and I guess absolutely what you said if I can imagine I've yeah I can imagine how helpful it would be to be exhausted and then for someone to be like you know would you like a vagina examination yes let's see how far I am okay you're 10 centimeters your baby's head's here yeah which majority of time women can feel in their bodies exactly you know I can imagine it really bringing that boost but then the other Mm -hmm. end of that that I always think about is well what if that vagina examination happens and you've been in labor for two days 
and then someone goes oh you're only two centimeters dilated what then happens to as you said before what happens to your motivation what happens to your your mindset and actually you know is that going to be helpful or detrimental to your birth process I think that's a big question that people need to be asking themselves is this going to benefit me to know or is this going to hinder my birth journey and also can I check myself and feel into my own body like not even you know you can check with your own fingers of course but feeling into your own body and checking in with yourself and you know recalling your kind of energy back to yourself and reclaiming that rather than relying on something external to you as well however knowing it is there if you want it and there yeah. isn't any right or wrong, but if you chose that, that's the most important. And yeah, so thank you for for saying that. I can really yeah. imagine how it could be helpful in them situations. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think, yeah, absolutely. It's just important that you ask yourself or like think about all the outcomes that could come from a vaginal assessment. Like, you know, what about if they, what about if I don't hear the number that I want to hear? How is that yeah. going to affect me? Um, I mean, we all you know, know how you don't know. You don't know in advance sorry spook over yeah. then sorry. we all know how shit we feel if we're having like if we don't you know if we're having a bit of a shit day at work and we're like right it's got to be five o'clock and you look at the clock and it's like three o'clock and you're like well I'm fucked for the rest of the day <laughs> like yeah. you know I I remember I used to work on a macadamia nut farm in Australia <laughs> and we used to get a five minute smoker or a little five minute smoker break every two hours and we worked in this factory we had to all wear headphones because the, the machines were so loud, so none of us could sure. see each other, and you were literally stood in front of a machine just picking the bad nuts off. And it was like 10-hour shifts, so you'd literally just be stood there doing nothing, picking nuts off a oh machine. My God. yeah. And you'd literally be like, I wonder if it's been two minutes or if it's been like an hour and a half, and, you, and you'd be terrified to fucking check your phone. Because if you've been, you were starting a 10-hour shift and you've only been on shift for 15 minutes, it was like... I don't know how I'm going to get through this day, especially when you've been pissed the night before. But anyway, so I can imagine that's like a tiny little scrape on what it would be like during labor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, during birth. But um, yeah, to not hear the number, as you say, that you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Can't imagine that's ideal at all. And I think also for, for other people, like, you know, I've seen them you know sort of using a vagina assessment to feed into your decision making about other things that is when it can be helpful so you know if you're thinking or maybe you know if you're maybe birthing at home or in a birth center and you're maybe thinking that you might want to transfer for whatever reason or it's been recommended to you for whatever reason um you know then uh, you know you can accept a vagina assessment to give you information to feed into that decision you know whatever that reasoning is um you know if baby's gonna be born soon or if I'm in late labor then I'll stay and if not then I'll go and you know all those kind of things or you know if you're considering getting an epidural for example um you, know, you don't necessarily want to have an epidural sighted if you're fully if you're fully dilated and, and your baby's going to be born really soon um you know although I would always say that again your cervix is not a crystal ball and no one's going to know when your baby's going to be born you know you could you could be four centimeters and have a baby inside of an hour or you could be fully dilated and not have a baby for several hours and both of these things are normal so yeah and am I right in thinking that once you're around nine ten centimeters dilated that you know I know we said at the beginning of the call that 
well, as you've just said, you can be four centimetres and give birth in an hour or 10 and give birth in hours and hours time. Is the accuracy of nine centimetres to 10 centimetres? Like, I don't know if you know this and how I'm wording it and not wording it very well, but what is the probability of that baby coming sooner rather than later? Is that anything we can tell? And can we make decisions of transfer at that point or not or you know it's such a difficult yeah it's a really difficult one and you know when when you do have a maternity system that is really working off of pure numbers a lot of the time you know it yeah it is it is really difficult because there's so much more that's there's so much more that's going on in birth than just how open the cervix is you know and that's before you even get to the little little fun facts like you know babies can come through cervixes that aren't fully dilated you know or fun facts like the cervix doesn't open in a circle it opens in an oval um, and you can you can be fully dilated at the back and and sometimes there can be a little bit at the front and you know there's all these all these like variations of the the, the amazing sort of human body that, that is so different and you know women's bodies are not machines they don't just open up mechanically <laughs> in birth you know as as much as you know the sort of system might help you have you believe or the or the kind of the sort of guidelines around birth would have you believe doesn't open like that so yeah and am I right in thinking that when you train during your midwifery training I'm guessing there isn't like eight different types of models of the different ways that your cervix can dilate is there just like the one like you know the what you can we can buy them in like midwife things and coloring books and stuff it's like you know, you can't see everyone that's listening because I'm holding up my hands, but like <laughs> what two centimetres looks like, then what 10 centimetres looks like, is that the one model that you get or yeah. is the variation? Yeah. yeah, it's basically the one model. And then, you know, when I when I was training, they had um, these gross vaginal examination boxes. So it was like silicon sort of vulva. I think I've seen them vulva. on YouTube, actually. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, they're tiny. They're maybe, I don't know, like just like a few centimetres, like definitely not life-size vulvas. So, and then you put your fingers in and then each one is like a different a different opening um, and it doesn't feel anything like doing a real vaginal assessment but that's how you learn and um, initially anyway. And um, yeah, and I remember, I remember like, trying so hard and just not knowing what I was feeling and getting like finger cramp because they're such small boxes and just yeah and and all that kind of stuff so that, that's basically like how you learn and then and then they chuck you into practice um and then you have to find uh, like a, a willing a willing woman who's who's happy to let you practice on her and then have vaginal assessments repeated yeah um, that's yeah that's how you have to do it yeah so practice in the NHS how often are you know if someone goes right okay I'm happy to have vaginal examinations mm. how often are routine vaginal examinations carried out during labor so so yeah I, I was gonna bring this up actually just around um like what purpose it serves to have regular routine examinations and, and what the guidelines are around that but um so essentially in the UK anyway you are offered vaginal assessments um, every four hours during the active phase of birth. So that's when you're having regular surges, regular womb activity. Um, and, you know, if we're, if we're sort of uh, diagnosing that by how open your cervix is, it's four centimetres onwards. So between four centimetres and like 10 centimetres. Um, and yeah, you're offered, offered a vaginal assessment every four hours during that phase. 
okay and they expect you to dilate half a centimeter an hour um, and if you don't then they offer you methods to speed up your birth so uh, either having your waters broken um, forcibly uh, or and slash or um, having synthetic oxytocin put into your veins to increase the strength and regularity of your womb activity so yes that is how often it's it's offered every hour in the pushing phase of birth um potentially more a lot of people get what? it more often than that mm -hmm. and i think it I think this varies place to place but certainly where i just worked every six hours in the early phase of birth so if you are somebody who is in early labor in a hospital or a birth center so that's mean like not in the active part of your birth but you you don't want to be at home or you're not at home for whatever reason every six hours so is it so it's very frequent yeah that you've that you've potentially got got someone examining you and a lot of it's around the uh the filling out of the partogram so i don't know if you've heard of this before but this is um a chart that was introduced in the 70s and it's basically where you plot dilation so you just put like a little cross like a like a like literally a chart with squares on it a little cross and then you kind of the next examination you'll put another cross and then you you, you basically the, the idea is that you've got this curve going upwards oh, demonstrating dilation nicely yeah. increased curve yes yes um, and we still use that now and it was in, yeah it was introduced in the 70s based on this really poor research that was done um in i think it was in like an irish hospital where they examined women like every hour to see how their labor progressed in hospital and then they it was a really small sample size and then they created this document that said women dilate at this rate therefore um this is what it should look like on a graph and it's just this really massive part of like birth care in the Western world. Everyone's just accepted that this chart is how you measure appropriate progress for, for health reasons so that you um, can determine when somebody's maybe having obstructed labor. So that's what everyone's always worried about, right? Like this mm -hmm. kind of, you know, that, you know, so there's lots of womb activity, but the baby's not descending. And then it can cause sort of, you know, in a true obstructed labor, it, it, it can definitely have health issues, but obstructed labor is it really rare, really rare especially right in physiological in, birth yeah yeah and i really thinking as well that surely that chart is also inaccurate because half and vaginal examinations can change the natural process of how you would dilate naturally due to how it makes you feel due to the environment in which you're having it so surely if there's an obstruct obstruct in labor it's the vaginal examination that's being done anyway yeah i know i know and it's just even the idea even the idea of trying to like put something as like wild and unpredictable um and completely mysterious as labor and birth onto a graph is one of the most hilarious things i've ever heard in my life like anybody who's ever attended physiological birth on any level knows that it's completely unpredictable like you just you can't Absolutely. you just how it unfolds you know obviously you know that there are things that you can look out for you know when you attend births you you get used to seeing signs and you know you you know everybody knows you know what the sounds are when a baby's coming and all of that stuff but but you know but essentially it's still it's still really unpredictable and I feel like the more births I attend the less I feel like I know about birth because yeah yeah just just because it's just 
it's so varied um so yeah this idea that it that yeah we need to be plotting it on a chart is is hilarious to me but we're still doing it even if so any nhs midwife who attends your home birth or your birth center birth is filling out that chart and plotting your progress against a curve um if they you know, if someone says i don't want to have vaginal examinations how do they plot that chart do they go on time of contractions yeah so they they also mark yeah they also mark contractions on it and like and other things as well like other observations that they're doing yeah as you say it's so it is hilarious trying to encapsulate and box up the most wild primitive thing literally I mean I don't know whether it's because like it's our work but in the world really it's like it's fucking hilarious how much we try to humanize this animalistic thing that happens to us, this primitive rite of passage. And mm-hmm. God, it actually is fucking hilarious, but really not. It's really detrimental and really sad that this yeah. is how far away we've come from listening to women uh, in their listening to the sounds as you said before listening mm-hmm. to the little micro movements the little watching the little micro movements like everything the changes in their back their bum all of the things that you can just see by watching and listening and just sitting with a woman and yeah it's wow it's so crazy yeah, and to me, you know, anyone. Oh, sorry, Beck. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 I love it. I literally gave up. Chatting away with Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say as well. You know, anybody who attends any kind of physiological birth, who who sits at the feet, you know, uh, you know, of people in labour, or who you know sits at the side of a birth pool, who attends home births, you know, anybody who does that knows that there's a whole multitude of ways to know that a labour is progressing. Mm-hmm. way more than putting your fingers in there um you know and it's like you said it's it's the sounds it's you know the what we call the rhombus of Michaelis so the the little um you know the the sort of opening of the back the dome at the back and the purple line creeping up between the buttocks I love that Um, purple line when I see it like ding 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 so so exciting isn't it you're like so um (laughs) and then (laughs) you know and but even but even just you know not even that but even just you know observing how um you know, a woman in, in labour sort of pulls into herself, you know, that sort of, that change in consciousness that you can see going on, um, you know, all of those things. And, and I feel like you can, you know, just like the feeling of the energy in the room, you can just feel when there's, you know, when there's those changes going on. Um, I think my favourite part, sorry to interrupt you, this is making me so excited. I'm on call for a bit at the moment as well. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh. maybe the baby will just come in a few hours. That'd just be lovely. <laughs> um, that that sound when they first start to change into like a bearing down sound and it's just mm-hmm. like a you know a woman could be making any kind of noises and then just that mm. at the end mm-hmm. of that that first one that you're like oh something's changed it's like something changes in the room and it's like mm-hmm. oh and it's if you don't know to look for it you wouldn't know that it's there I remember hearing my mum talk about the birth of my younger sister and I was a very quick birth, so I was born, I was first born, I was six hours. My sister yeah. was two hours, and I, I think I was three. My mum had gone and got in the bath, started having a few surges, went and got in the bath, 
and my auntie's a midwife and she was supporting the birth of me and my sister and my mom rang my auntie and just said oh you know I've started having surges oh I've started having contractions and my auntie went I want you to get out of the bath and go to the hospital my mom was birth in the hospital and mom was like no 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 I've only just started having them and my aunt said I want you to get out of the bath and go to the hospital now and my mum was on all fours in the back of the car. I was like to my dad, pull over, we're having the baby here. Yeah. My dad was like, all the colour drained from his face. He was like, no, 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 we can get to the hospital. But I always was like, how did you know? Is like when I was a little bit older and my auntie was like, I could just hear it in her voice. And I remember mm. thinking, that is the most magical thing I've ever heard in my life. And being like, that is magic. And now I hear it. And I'm like, wow, it's so beautiful to... Yeah. It's the the birth song, right? It's the birth song, you know? Oh, my God, that's just... I know. It's every cell in my body. Oh, my God. And it's such a privilege to hear it, you know? And then when you tune into it and, and women feel free to express themselves and they don't feel frightened or you know they're not full of adrenaline you know it, the, the you know the sounds of it are amazing and it's such a yeah it's such a giveaway as to to what's going on in labor um you know and 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 also like do we really even need to know what's going on in labor you know why can't we just leave her in peace leave the leave these yeah. leave you in peace birth in peace you know you don't, how we like do, cats do it isn't it yeah yeah absolutely um yes, yeah I'm, um go on sorry i was yeah, gonna no, say no. i'd love to know any of the like disadvantages potentially of vagina examination but after you've said what you're gonna say it's getting yeah excited. I was just I was just also gonna say just a little bit about the the part of rum as well just a little bit about the research around that so it was done in the 70s and then people have done more research on it in like the last couple of decades there's a, a couple of really big studies done um about you know how people progress in in labor um and what that looks like and and you know there was a really good gold standard study that was done which which basically said well we don't really know because it's really unpredictable um that you know obviously but they definitely said yeah exactly <laughs> but they were like people do not progress in a linear way they do not progress along a, the curve of a graph um you know they, they're all over the place and also that they, they what they did notice was that there was a real like plateau um between like five and eight centimeters so people could like slow the the progress of their labor around that stage and that was really normal so you know it's yeah it's interesting isn't it that yeah that we've got this research but it hasn't made it into practice and you know but we know that it it can take 20 well on average it takes 20 years for practice changes in practice to to sort of take hold um but also I feel like it's so ingrained now you know in sort of maternity health care that I think yeah how would that even be kind of yeah least in the nhs to be like it's just a fucking free-for-all the women are just going to come in and do the thing it would be the most beautiful yeah. carnage i've ever seen in my life <laughs> women just roaring and you yeah. know up and about and walking and swaying and oh it'd be beautiful yeah. So the, whole thing, the, whole, the whole thing would fall apart wouldn't it you know I think <laughs> you know in a lovely way but yeah it, you know how would they how would they possibly keep control if we just let you know let women do it um but yeah so yeah we, we know we know it's nonsense but it's it's a very culturally sort of normal thing to do to offer routine vaginal assessments during during birth so yeah and I you know there are there are obviously understandably quite a few disadvantages so um the main one being pain so there's there's a lot of research saying that you know women women do find the experience of vaginal assessments in labor really quite painful mm. um obviously 
what a what what a surprise um yeah and um you know that you know a lot of the time obviously the way that we're trained as well like we're trained to only do vaginal assessments um in in you know sort of in that supine position so what's called a supine position which is basically like lay back um sort of not totally flat but sort of sort of like propped up on pillows or whatever but just lay in a bed basically um you know a lot of midwives obviously can can do vagina assessments in alternative positions but it's a little bit harder to get you know those other bits of information that i mentioned before you know the position of the baby's head and all of that um it's, i think it's important that listeners know that you can opt to have a vagina assessment in in, in a position that isn't laid down um like and you can also things. opt out of having them all together. oh my god completely also completely always also yeah just don't bother just just say no um yeah and then um yeah so obviously yeah can be painful um and I think um you know infection is a real risk as well we know that infection is a risk like there's a lot of research done on it um and basically it's when the well on average um when sort of somebody accepts uh seven or more vaginal assessments their risk of infection rises significantly which obviously seven sounds like a lot doesn't it um but you know if you're in labor for a long time if you're if you're a first time parent um you know your labor's longer maybe you go in early maybe you're in and out a couple of times in the hospital and you have a couple of vaginal assessments then you're in active labor maybe you have a student midwife looking after you maybe you let her practice on you um well, you know <laughs> you have a relatively quick birth that's like what eight hours long you're going to have seven if you opt in for all of them. You're probably going to have more than seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, maybe maybe a doctor gets invited to your birth and doctors never believe midwives about vaginal assessments when they're, sometimes they do, but, you know, a lot of the time if they're being required to do a clinical assessment, their own clinical assessment, a doctor will repeat a vaginal assessment even if it's just been done. Um, you know, so there's, I know, there's all these kind of things that that sort of, you know, they very quickly rack up. Um and it's an infection risk because, you know, especially if your waters have opened, mm-hmm. you know, released, you know, things, things in labor are supposed to come down and out. They're not supposed to go up and in, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. And, and I also think, you know, I always think energetically what that's doing as well. If you've got things going up and in all the time and really you need to be working on down and out and you've got to lie down each time and it's painful and you know all those things like you have to think about what impact that's going to have on you in labor and your mindset and the flow of your hormones and all of those things and also am i right in thinking from what i've heard and understood from vagina examinations that sometimes what it can actually do we know the cervix is so sensitive what it can actually do is cause the cervix to come back and what what one what's the opposite of dilation contract basically and go down rather than dilate so mm-hmm. potentially moving from four centimeters to what three centimeters because of the I mean I don't know this is just what I've heard so I'd love to hear your views on that but it's what I've heard is yeah. happening as well because the body doesn't feel safe because it's normally done as you say mm-hmm. like on your back in a clinical setting potentially you know if the woman's not I mean I know this is not something you would do but hearing it all the time like without consent and things like that that it's being done to women so of course the body's not going to feel safe and it's going to be like it's not safe to birth my baby let's slow things down and also yeah pausing surges as well Mm, they're definitely and yeah you're totally right you know you're 
when you're in labor, you're a mammal and your mammal body, if it doesn't feel safe, it will not let your baby out because it does not feel safe to do that. So, you know, actually, you know, a slowing down of your progress and your rhythm in labor um, is a really intelligent response that your body's making to an environment that isn't conducive to birth. Well, we you don't know, call it failure to progress. Yeah, we call it failure to progress. And like, and I'm like, actually, like your body just was trying to keep your baby safe. Yeah, how clever. You know? Thank you so much, body. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So no, and I, I think so too, you know, I, and you know, they, it's Ina Mae Gaskin, isn't it? The, the midwife from the farm who, um, you know, was this awesome hippie midwife from the 70s said that, you know, the cervix almost operates like a sphincter. Um, you know, and sphincters are shy. Like, you know, it's really difficult sometimes. You, you, it's really difficult for us to have our bowels open around people we don't know, you know, or, you know, all those things. Or, you know, maybe if you, you know, some people have that phenomenon while they're on holiday and they get constipated because they're not in their own home environment um, and, you know, all those kind of things. And that's to do, in, you know, my asking you called it sphincter law. So basically, yeah, you have to honour your sphincters or they don't open, um, you know, and that we should be more more about that with our cervixes and be more respectful of that that opening to our womb and, and you know, and, and sort of what's going on there with that. And this sacredness yeah. of that and actually, you know, how that experiences the baby as well. I mean, I know mm. we're not directly touching them per se. Well, yeah, if we're touching their head, we're touching them. But mm-hmm. also, like, you know, energetically, spiritually, what message are we sending to our bodies and to our babies? And that kind of reciprocal message between our body, mind, soul, what what is happening there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I think there's just, there's just a lot going on with it, I think. There's quite a lot of layers to it. So that's why I think it's it's so important to anyone listening that you you know you know of course you you know you always have a choice but that there's you know there can be ramifications with that choice on levels that maybe aren't always immediately obvious so yeah yeah definitely and you know and then yeah obviously that main one is the derailing of your birth as well you know if you're if you're accepting vaginal assessments then you're more likely to get a diagnosis of a delay in labor and then be navigating the offers of interventions um you know so and and you know really a vaginal assessment is is the starting point the start line of a cascade in a lot of ways a cascade of intervention so um you know I think it's also important to know that yeah it's not always a benign checkup or or assessment it it can have real real sort of implications for how your birth unfolds yes Mm. absolutely I'm just like yes 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 thank Um, you thank you yeah come on sharing all of that information can't think of any other questions that I need to ask I'm sure I'm going to think of yeah. some of this but if you have anything else that you feel is important to share about vaginal examinations yeah I was just I was also just going to mention some things about consent um only because um I was a witness to a little bit of an Instagram mudslinging um event this week on Instagram um who's someone happens often, some, some, happens, off, uh, happens often yeah absolutely and um yeah and and you know this 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 midwife um hospital midwife was saying well it's never done without consent what are you on about vaginal assessments are never done with it without consent I would never do that I've never seen that what what are you on about wow um and I think you know consent is really big in the birth world and I feel like it's thrown around a lot and I think it's it's really important that people know you know there's a lot of stuff and I just said it before as well you know they just say no 
group like no is a complete sentence and and that's definitely true like you don't have to explain yourself no is no but I also think it's important that you know that there are intelligent strong capable educated women who go into the maternity system with a strong birth plan and still come out of their births coerced and traumatized and workers yeah birth workers yeah absolutely um and I think it's just important that you know that when you enter that system you know because coercion is so normalized and sometimes it's done well quite often it's done with a smile you don't always realize that actually the consent that you gave wasn't actually ethically gathered you know it's not consent if somebody makes you afraid to say no it's not consent if someone says to you well you can't get in the birth pool unless you have one you know or you can't have gas and air because it might slow you down and we don't think you're in active labor so you've got to have a vagina assessment you know just think about all the absolute shit show that went down during the um like covid restrictions where they were saying to women well your partner can't come in unless we give you a vaginal examination you know think about you know all those kind of things that is not consent it's and not actually what we're talking about you take this out of the birth setting and you know if you ever heard someone a woman or man say to a woman I have to put my fingers up your vagina before you're allowed to do x y and z we would be going straight to the police and calling it rape yeah so why do then put it in a birth setting and normalize it and and you know and there is definitely that element of I think crossing that threshold into the hospital space or into the medical setting and you know unconsciously coming into a patient mentality or stepping into that vulnerability that you may not step into in the same way if they come into your own house you know you have to go there and ask if you can use the toilet but when they come to your home they ask you if they can use the toilet the power dynamics so different even if it's as you say given with a smile we then can give consent to something we don't even know what we're consenting to because we haven't Mm -hmm. been told the risks the benefits you know why these things are being done because we're not in the place to ask them fucking questions no no you're not we want to trust who we're being supported by and actually sometimes even when we know that even if we do ask the right questions and say you know I don't know if this is what I want to do or why are we doing this and you you know something comes back with well, actually, it's X, Y, and Z, it's dangerous if you don't, or this could happen, these are the ramifications, which aren't always backed up in evidence, let's be honest. We then end up not giving consent, but just complying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, you know, it really, you really are so vulnerable, it's hard to explain if you haven't been in that place. Um, You know, and if, if someone brings in the, well, worried about your baby, so we need to do it you know then then pretty much you know women are astounding you know they will they will pretty much do anything if you tell them that it's for the benefit of their baby um you know so I think we also just need to be aware of the the sort of tactics that are used to get people to comply and that not necessarily you know I've I've worked in that system so I, I wouldn't even say that it that it's practitioners thinking well, I need to get somebody to comply and this is how I'm going to do it. Like they're not even consciously thinking of that, but they're just very certain that what they are offering is for the best. Yeah, because that's so, what's trained, of course. Yeah, 
yeah exactly so I think it's just also really important that people are aware that you know sometimes they might need to think about you know do I need to ask somebody to leave while I make a decision about whether I'm accepting that vaginal assessment or you know do I do I need to ask somebody else to explain this to me in a better way or do I need to use my brain model (laughs) you know do I need to speak to my doula you know all those things it's just yeah it's just it's about it's about just stepping back a little bit rather than just feeling like you've got to agree in that moment as well absolutely and yeah yeah as you say having that support of a doula or your birth partner that's on board with your birth partner knows what you want to really hold and protect you and support that space for you as much as they can because mm-hmm. as you say like even something as simple or as seemingly harmless as a vaginal examination can begin the plasty yeah so. definitely and being aware that um these kind of tactics also exist in birth centers and home births as well um so yeah also being aware to them in that scenario we always you know talking a lot about hospitals because we know that's where they you know where you might end up on that route a lot more um but yeah it can also happen in those environments too so absolutely yeah thank you for saying that yeah thank you so much for all of your knowledge and information we were going to talk about more things today but I didn't think we wouldn't have even (laughs) yeah it's such a lot to say about it there's a big topic isn't it definitely and it Um, needs to be said so thank you very much yeah thank you for having me you're welcome and I will yeah this is going to be coming out obviously when you're all hearing it um but Kelly I would love for you to share if anyone wants to get in contact with you or follow your work I know you're starting to know your own business and things like that so if you wanted to share where we can find you or get in contact or anyone listening can find you then please please speak to that yeah, sure. Um, so I am um, on Instagram um, at bloom.birthkeeping. So you can uh, pop me a message anytime, um, especially if you've got any questions or, yeah, or even if you just want some resources around what we've talked about today. Um, some of the research that I've mentioned could always point you in that right direction. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, just feel free to get in contact um, if you'd like to. Amazing. Thank you. And I will put your details in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming and yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Okay, thanks back. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Way of the Womb podcast. If this episode resonated with you and if you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot and share this on your social media. Tag me at Beck Wallace Birthkeeper and drop me a message let me know how you found it and if you feel called please feel free to leave a review it just helps other people to find the podcast so that we can build community and gather together thanks so much sending all the love